If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to the Newborn Mothers podcast. And today we have Katie Cordes on the podcast, who is a midwife and a certified infant sleep consultant, a certified holistic infant sleep consultant, and also our sleep educator inside the postpartum education and care professional training. And Katie, I wanted to have you on today to have a little bit of a chat about um, sort of cultural expectations around infant sleep um, and how they clash with baby development uh, and maybe just clearing up some of the myths and misunderstandings. When I created this course and, and updated everything, I really wanted to include sleep because I feel like there's so much um, unhelpful information, even incorrect information out there that's so confusing and overwhelming for mums. And I don't want our postpartum professionals to be adding to that confusion. Um, so, Katie, one thing that you say that I love is you believe in coaxing a love of sleep, which I think is really beautiful. Um, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. And um, we'll try not to waffle on for hours and hours, though I'd be happy to if you want. To. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Katie, you and I go way back. We've known each other for many years and you've been teaching with me for um, actually well, yeah, coming up to a year now, we're running our third class together with you as the sleep educator. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about, I guess let's start from the beginning. Tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about how you came to be interested in in sleep and why you moved from midwifery to, to sleep. It was an accident, really. I still don't know how I wound up in this job because when my were my children, my four children, when they were little, I would never have dreamed of hiring a sleep coach or going to sleep school or any of that nonsense. So it still baffles me how I wound up here, but there we are. Um, so, <laughs> so I think when I look, to be frank, I was getting pretty, um, what's the word, not overwhelmed, not burnt out, but just disillusioned with the midwifery profession, certainly within the context of hospital practice and I used to go to work and just constantly be on the hamster treadmill filling in notes and doing all the the clerical side of the job and not really spending a lot of time with mums and babies and that's where I got the real joy from my job and so I started to think about becoming my own boss but I didn't know what on earth that could possibly look like Anyway, long story short, after a year off working and traveling with my family, I thought, yes, I need to start making a plan for how I can build a career that I feel pleasure in working at because I was losing that with midwifery. Um, and I think looking back now, what I wanted to become was a postpartum doula. But I mean, how many years ago is this? So seven, eight years ago, it wasn't as as well-known profession as it is now and to be honest I didn't really know how to get clients in that field and I kind of accidentally stumbled across my first client who really needed help getting her toddler to sleep and um, so 
she wanted regular help um, every few weeks and not being very good at the money side of it either. I thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to cost you so much money. How about I let you how about I help you get this toddler to sleep and then you won't need me every few weeks? <laughs> oh, gosh, not much for business mind back then. Um, anyway, so we did that and I thought, oh, OK, so this wasn't so bad. And then suddenly I started to just get more clients and I thought, gee, I really need to get more education around this. I need more tools. Um, you know, just having four children and being a midwife wasn't nearly enough. So yes, I Well interestingly you don't really learn a lot about sleep as a midwife though, do you? Well, no, not really. And not not the useful stuff either. I mean, most of the stuff that we told mums was no, you can't go sleep. That kills babies and you definitely don't do it in hospital because it's not our policy and blah, blah, blah. Um but, you know, babies don't get that memo, do they? So they come out expecting to be nurtured as other baby mammals are. And um, we try and tell them it's different for them. Yes. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to a bit more of your kind of starting out story, that's on episode 33 of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forwarding a little bit to now, You've now been working as a holistic sleep consultant for a few years. You've had, you know, dozens of families that you've worked with and supported. Uh, And now that you're helping us to teach some of this basic uh, infant sleep information to to our postpartum professionals, Mm -hmm. what? tell us a little bit about, like, Let's just go back to the basics. Tell us about baby development and and infant sleep. How 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 does sleep actually help babies to to grow? Oh my goodness! How does sleep benefit all of us? Oh, as my children well know, I could go on about this for <laughs> hours and hours. Um, but look, we all we all need good sleep, don't we? We all need good sleep for the most minute of cellular functions in our bodies, um, but you know, not least for our mood, our general health and all of that great stuff. Um, Now, there's often this misconception that if babies don't have X number of hours of sleep, you know, their brains aren't going to develop properly. Well, that's just that's just such dangerous information to be banded around. And unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say that unscrupulous quarters of the sleep industry love that particular piece of information. Um, any research that's been done on there on the development of infant brains in regard to sleep have been done on older children. So toddlers, preschoolers, school age children. We're not talking about babies. So if you ever hear that applied to babies, you can just take it from me. You can ignore that piece of information. It's not relevant because babies sleep like babies for very good reason. Um, And as I talk about in the newborn mother's course, Newborn babies in particular need to wake frequently throughout the night to reoxygenate, to raise their blood pressure, to feed and raise blood glucose levels and all of that kind of good stuff. So babies are designed to wake up in the night. However, we're always going to get those babies who sleep well through the night. Some unicorn babies. I never had one. I don't know where we get these babies from, but they do exist. Um, You'd so- be very rich if you could create unicorn babies, Katie. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> So, you know, we're not going to be waking up those babies unless they're very little or jaundiced or, you know, a few of those other reasons. Um, But, yeah, so developmentally, little tiny babies are not adapted to sleeping. The long stretches of sleep like adults are. And this is often where I have to get 
quite clear on expectations with families when they come to me with sleep challenges and just look first at the developmental side of things and, and what their expectations are and are they realistic compared to where we're at developmentally. Did I answer that question all right? Did, was there more? Yes. No, I think that's really interesting. And then I think the other interesting thing is what you've mentioned too, that a lot of advice that mums get, like don't co-sleep or your baby has to sleep X number of hours or their brain won't develop properly. I mean, this is things that professionals are telling families all the time um, and it's not actually very helpful. No, no, definitely not because then parents feel like they're the only ones who aren't able to... You know, so often I hear that parents feel like they're the only ones in mother's group whose babies aren't sleeping through and it's just they're doing a bad job. Now, of course, all these babies come to this world with different personalities, different needs, different sensory needs. So what works for one baby may not work for another. And just because yours is the only baby that doesn't sleep through at the moment, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be sleeping through later on when all the others have decided they want to be awake. <laughs> in the night so yes they all go through different things at different times and um, there, there is also a bit of a culture of shaming parents if their babies don't sleep like you know sometimes parents don't want to admit that their baby's not sleeping because it's sort of seen as a personal failing as a parent um mm. so I always think there's probably often a lot of people who just won't speak up about it yeah absolutely <laughs> or they won't speak up about other practices so things like co-sleeping feeding to sleep all of that kind of stuff and so they skirt around the issue because they don't want to be open about it but then by not being open about it people never share these tips with each other yes so let's talk um specifically about a common sort of misunderstanding I guess or a, I guess it's common sleep challenge which is the four-month sleep regression um, I know that's been a lot of parents seek out a sleep consultant yes. um, what's, what's actually going on there oh this is one of my favorite topics and it's often the age that people bring sleep challenges to me first of all so they may have had a baby that slept quite well in the first couple of months and then around the four months, it can happen a little bit earlier, it can happen a little bit later. Um, there's an actual change to the structure of the sleep cycle. And two new sleep phases arrive around this age, often in line with um, uh, the development of or the achievement of more gross motor skills. So they're learning to roll, they're learning to reach, they're learning to grab. And so the changes in sleep cycles are actually really important for downloading all that information and the changes that need to happen in the brain in relation to these gross motor skills and some fine motor skills as well for some. Uh, so sleep can seem disjointed. So these two new sleep phases that come are actually light sleep. So they may wake more easily, be awake for little stretches in the night, sound wide awake and parents often then assume that it's their jobs to put them back to sleep and also around four months it seems common that parents are suddenly expecting a routine to emerge they're starting to want to get their social lives back on track so at this point parents are thinking right we need a routine I want some predictability at a time of huge excitement for these babies so all this amazing stuff is starting to occur to them light bulbs are flashing on all over the place in their tiny brains 
And they're suddenly now looking at exploring other forms of sensory input. So, for example, when we look at going to sleep, for instance, they may have been happily falling asleep on the breast up until four months, getting all their sensory experiences orally and for the hands and the skin and the face from mum's breasts and mum's clothes. But at this point, it's a really great time to invite other forms of sensory input too. So you might start to introduce a little toy of sorts at sleep time or a comforter at sleep time. Now, I will just put the disclaimer in here. We don't recommend uh, comforters to be in with babies throughout the night at this age. But during the onset of sleep, this is often a time that I say, hey, now, how about we present this other opportunity to your baby? And they may decide that they can actually start to uh, develop a little bit more independence around going to sleep, find how they like to soothe themselves. And once they're asleep, of course, we can move that item away. Hey there, I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that if you are really enjoying this episode, then you'll really enjoy our postpartum education and care professional training too. Our training is online and available worldwide. We've already trained nearly 2000 students in 60 different countries and we'd love you to join us. Wherever you are in your postpartum career, taking your first step or with decades of experience, if you feel a deep calling to work with new families, during this life-changing transformation, this course is for you. Learn more at newbornmothers.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. Um, but what commonly happens is the opposite, where parents go, oh my gosh, this just feels like chaos. Right, I need to rein it in. I need to gain control. So this is the time that they go, no, 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 this looks like chaos. I'm just going to rock you to sleep and feed you to sleep and pin your arms down and I'm just going to I'm going to avoid the advice to take you out of a swaddle I'm just going to keep it all really controlled and it often happens at a time as well where their stamina starts to develop so that means they can be awake for longer periods between naps but parents are still trying to get them down as frequently as they used to or they're following the dreaded awake windows from some chart they've downloaded somewhere and so then when the baby protests because, A, they're being put to bed probably sooner than they're actually feeling tired, and B, the windows are blacked out, they can't see anything, um, they've got their arms strapped down, they can't feel anything, they just want to play, they want to practice that rolling, and they're being prevented from doing any of that because sleep has really taken centre stage in terms of um, importance to parents. That, of course, babies get frustrated. They become furious. Some of them, I've seen it happen. The parents put the blinds down. They put the sleep suit on. They walk into the bedroom and the baby cracks it. So, so common. But then what gets the blame is, oh, I've missed the window. He's overtired. Look at him. He's so furious. He's overtired. And so they try even harder to get the baby to sleep. And mm -hmm. so you see, it's kind of like the opposite of everything this baby's saying. They're saying, I'm getting bigger. I need longer awake. Please give me that toy back. Or please just open the blinds a little bit. I want to look at that tree outside while I go to sleep. So it's my job mm -hmm. when I come in then is just to suggest, well, you know, are you sure those tired signs that you recognized a month ago, are you sure they're still saying the same thing? 
could your child be saying actually i'm bored or actually i want that toy back or actually i'm not tired because those communications can mean so many more things when all the, these um, new areas of realization are opening up in their brains. Yes. And what I really love about your approach, Katie, is you do have this kind of like solid understanding of sleep, like what is sleep, you know, what, what are sleep needs, you know, different for parents and babies. Mm-hmm. But then you also just have very, we communicate with each, each other better and, you know, what could, we try and what might work for this particular family Mm. um which i really love and i think one of the key learnings of the the course that the the module that we've put together on sleep for professionals is is really that key teaching of our parents sleep is at odds with infant sleep and once you kind of realize that it's like a huge weight off your shoulders to kind of go, yeah. all right, it's normal for babies to wake up this often and it's normal for parents want to, to want to sleep for a long time. Yeah. And then as a professional, have a really different perspective. How can we meet the needs of a parent and also how can we meet the needs of a baby um, but without necessarily saying we have to completely sacrifice or compromise one for the other? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I think what it boils down to is community and support. It's really hard for one person to manage this on their own. And so one of the first things that I say to many parents that come to me, especially if they consider that they're in a sleep crisis, is to figure out, all right, well, how can we can we take shifts? You know, what we know um, from studies is that mums and dads, I believe, as well, do much better um, emotionally speaking, certainly in the context of postnatal depression they do much much better with at least a four-hour stretch of sleep uninterrupted stretch of sleep so I don't mean that's enough for them to sleep throughout the entire night but a, a stretch somewhere in the night that is around four hours they do much much better emotionally so whereas a lot of parents may take it in turns you know if the baby doesn't need a feed one um the partner might get up and rock them back to sleep or soothe them somehow and let mum carry on sleeping and so they take it in turns but i often say look it's much better if you can actually take a shift and if mum's breastfeeding then maybe partner can bring the baby to mum in her sleep space be there to help facilitate the feed and then take the baby back settle change the nappy all of that kind of thing um, so, yeah, it's acknowledging the, the adult sleep needs while also acknowledging where we're at with the baby's sleep needs and just reassuring them that even if we do nothing, even if we change nothing about the way the baby sleeps, the chances are they are just going to get much, much better with their sleep as time goes by. So this is not something we have to engineer. There is no magic window of opportunity for making sure you've got a good sleeper. And this is where I just say, if you can just foster a love of sleep and some happy vibes around sleep and not feel too resentful about sleep, then that's probably the best ingredients to get anybody started. Yes, I love it. I have one more question to throw at you, Katie. Mm, How was your experience of teaching professionals? Because usually you work with mums and families directly. and. During this process of like trying to figure out what is it that professionals should know about sleep, yeah. um, 
what yeah how, how was that experience for you what did you learn the merging really because they're a, a merging of the two ideas because I think a lot of the people I was talking to had been mums had been mums previously are mums obviously <laughs> and yes. um and so a lot of them were thinking about it from their own personal journey and going oh I wish I'd known you when <laughs> when we had our babies that makes so much sense um but I think it also lets professionals off the hook a little bit in terms of you don't have to be telling parents what to do it's just reassuring them and having the faith that yourself that this baby knows what they're doing you know you don't have to engineer anything as long as as long as people are lying down as much as they possibly can be so things like like the the points that we go into in the course are things like look let's learn to co-sleep safely or at least sleep on adjacent sleep surfaces let's everybody stay lying down because why are we sitting up in chairs holding babies while they sleep and nodding off ourselves because we've been told that's the safer thing to do when science tells us it's 18 times more dangerous than co-sleeping with a healthy full-term baby yes i think the safe sleep module was that lesson was a really interesting one to write and and i agree with you about our students responses to the module and and in fact this is true from everything we teach there's so much myths and misinformation and and also just gaps in our knowledge around almost everything to do with postpartum um that it is often like a huge learning journey and um healing experience for our students personally um as well so they do this course thinking great oh you know at the end of it i'll get a qualification and i'll start a new career and that is true but they also realize wow I've got a new perspective on life and I've forgiven myself for a lot of the mistakes I made and I've understood better why you know people gave me this bad advice and you know I've forgiven them and I've got to you know there's so many personal learnings that come out of that that mm. process too yeah that's a really good point forgiving yourself and forgiving the advice that you were given because my first baby came along 16 years ago and they didn't know half of what they know now in terms of things like attachment, development, and all of that kind of stuff. You know, it was still very much save our sleep and um, oh, what was the other one, Gina Ford and, you know, yes. all of those, which was just like do this, this and this and you'll have a good sleeping baby. And if you can't do this, this and this, well, you know, you're weak which is just appalling advice now when you look back. Yes, and, and true throughout the ages. I, I know that we've talked about this a lot, but um, we could have an entire like history and culture of sleep mm. module as well because <laughs> it really helps to kind of understand, oh, like I had a baby in this year and that's the book that was the bestseller at the time, but it's actually got the very similar founding principles as a book that was written a hundred years ago that's not based on any science or research at all you know yeah that's it's right yeah it, with the industrial revolution um you know women were in the workforce more so therefore babies had to behave in a far more convenient way and that involved sleeping through the night so mums could go to work and be more productive and blah blah so yeah it was it was a tough gig for babies, I think, from yes. that point onwards. 
Yes, and at the same time, families were becoming more nuclear and moving away from extended families and had mm. less of that community support that we know is so essential to be able to get those four-hour blocks of sleep and stay, you know, yeah yeah and you know two I mean it's a luxury for some parents parents to have two invested parents there to help but that's yes. woefully insufficient isn't it and from your perspective and all you know on anthropology and all of that kind of stuff it's like two people you're joking aren't you two people for one baby how do they do Isn't that it? well what? I think Oh, sorry. What did you say? Is it like 14? Is it 14 on average? 14 adults? Yes, yes. Anthropological in... research shows yeah. that in many cultures it's between 8 and 14 adult carers a day that would look after a baby. Oh, imagine. Yeah, yeah. Blissful. <laughs> yeah, mum could just lie around all day just looking after herself, couldn't she? And being Yeah, oh, she could even just go to the toilet and, and yeah, have no. a pee, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and sleep and all those wonderful things. Yes, yes. Mm. So, Katie, um, I think I've come to the end of my questions, but I've just wondered if you have anything else that you want to add and, yeah, anything else about your kind of your learnings about sleep over the past few years and, and how your perspectives changed as a midwife. And yeah. That's what... Okay, so my practice as a, as a sleep coach has certainly changed over the last seven years. I think you probably had a lot to do with that as well, getting me back in touch with my sort of original postpartum roots as a midwife. And, um, yeah, I've just found myself going off on faster and faster really down the trajectory of um, attachment-focused developmental... what, What am I trying to say? Developmental aspects of sleep and just finding really kind and respectful ways of improving sleep for everybody rather than just getting to that point where parents are so desperate that the only thing they've got up their sleeve is to shut the door and walk away. I think once we start going down that route of ignoring our children's cries for help, if we get a little bit too conditioned to do that, who knows what we're turning our backs on as they go through childhood and adolescence. So this is yes. a really good time to start listening to our babies. Even if they just say they want boob for comfort, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But if mum's a little bit fed up of that, well, maybe we can help them find what else they might like to get comfort from, you know, rather than just saying, hey, sort it out, kid, I'll be back in the morning kind of thing. Yeah, I love that because a lot of it is just getting to mums earlier with more support in many ways that would prevent many of these things actually becoming such a huge um, problem, like, you know, before it becomes a crisis. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, one of the topics that I come up against a lot of times with families is talking about is never too early, it's never too young to learn to start helping or to start coaching your child with their emotions and holding space for those emotions whatever they may be and we don't always have the answers do we how many times have you held one of your babies they're screaming their head off and you go I don't know I don't know what do you want what do you want I've fed you I've changed you I've burped you I just I don't know how to make this better and that's okay to say that to babies but in a way that's not panicky or you know just oh you just let it all out I know let's work this out together rather than oh gosh, I'm doing something badly wrong because my child's crying and and this is damaging them, you know. 
having an upset in the arms of a, a loving carer is never going to be damaging and it's totally okay for us to go wow I really can't work this out but I'm here with you I'm listening and I'm trying my hardest to work it out and really that's yeah. what kids need from us whatever age big or small yes I love it that's exactly what I was going to say is you know you said it's never too early to start and it's never too early to end doing that oh, <laughs> yeah those skills you are going to need <laughs> yes. for many years to come for little yes. people or big people yeah oh well beautiful to chat katie thank you so much and if people oh, want to you know, get to know you better they will pop your your website in the link and um also if people want to um study the postpartum education and care professional training that you have helped us to create the sleep module for uh they can join us there so we'll pop all that information um underneath the recording and thank you so much here at newborn mothers we believe that every family has the right to high quality postpartum care if you want to join us learn more at newbornmothers.com and if you like this podcast we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts